What's up, everybody? You're listening to NoCo Cinema here on WGN Radio, your guide to cinema here in the city of Chicago. I'm Tom Hush. And I'm Connor Cornelius. And we're so happy to be back with you for another week of talking movies here in Chicago. Connor, we did have to miss last week again. We've had a really bad streak. Well, I mean, come on. The weather has been ridiculous. There's no way to not get sick. It's just creeping up on everybody. Yeah, up and down. I, so there was a week prior. I mean, it was two weeks ago now that I was sick. Couldn't do it. And, uh, and then, then we last did week, one. Then we did and then one. last week. Yeah. And then there, last week we were just like, can't do it again. Can't do it. Can't do it. Are you feeling better? I'm feeling much better. Especially after that. That bump music was great. Oh, yeah. You know, you don't hear enough fretless bass on hip-hop tracks. <laughs> it's it's a full house right now. I'm really happy about it. And, you know, we haven't introduced them yet. So, basically, they don't functionally exist in this room until I introduce them. They have not been named. Right. So, therefore, the demons are at bay. Mm-hmm. If you name them, that's when they come into corporeal, you know, they have a corporeal yeah, form. In your, they congeal. Your, they congeal. So let's congeal them. them one at a time. All right. Uh, first off, we've got a friend of the show. He's been on multiple times, and you know him and love him. He's from Soft Cage Films, and he's also a writer and director in his own right. Uh, Reverend David Holcomb. What's up, man? <laughs> hey. thought you'd never oh! Now I can talk. <laughs> so glad you could come back with us. Uh, next to him, we have Spence Warren. He's a relatively new member of uh, Soft Cage Films. He's going to sing his way into uh, existence. <laughs> yes. I'm here now. Your little flat, we're up here, you're down here. <laughs> it's like a Sesame Street way to manifest. Ones. Yeah, I like it. It's a little bit more fun for the kids. Like an angelic yeah. sort yeah. of. That's yeah. 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 And then uh, rounding us off, we've got Dustin Pueller. He is a writer and director and also the head of Ready Freddy Films. Welcome, Dustin. Thank you. Thanks and for, for uh, Spence and Dustin, this is your first time on the show. This is. Yes, it is. Yes. Yeah. Yes. It's uh, it's we're, great to have you. We're in a deluxe office in the sky. Yeah, right now it's, I, it's quite lovely. Like Two hundred floors up. Yeah, three hundred yeah. million. We are we are forty five thousand miles above the Earth, <laughs> looking down on these people in, in a zeppelin. <laughs> it's really great to get the. It's hard to you know get the background noise. The out. flying buttresses are especially <laughs> impressive. We just had those installed last week. So. Wow. It's going to be great. The air is really really thin up here, isn't it? It is. is. Um, So what we're going to be talking about is these guys have a – well, they will – when you listen to this, they will have premiered um, a couple of films, three films. Uh, One of the filmmakers is not here, but it's going to be part – it's part of this event. Uh, It's a Soft Cage Films, Ready Freddy Films joint premiere. They're premiering three films. Uh, We've got Down the Rabbit Hole, written and directed by – how do you pronounce it? Adia Ivy? Adia Ivy. Adia Ivy. Uh, Down the Rabbit Hole, written and directed by Adia Ivy. The Year 4000, written and directed by Dustin Peeler. And Mandala, written by Heather Mingo and John Sutton, directed by Reverend David Holcomb. And uh, we're really excited to have you guys. Um, I guess we're on the precipice of this premiere. What's How are you feeling? Pretty good. I mean, both of our films kind of came together in the last 24 hours. Really? Yeah, I feel like setting a premiere date is a good way to be like, all right, guys, there's a deadline. I'm not just making up a deadline for you. It has to be done. So. Oh, yeah. I felt like I was doing one of those film races. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> doing it as quickly as Well, fun. you were like shooting your film as of like last week. <laughs> yeah. So a little really? different for you. Yeah. We're really going micro with this one. How uh, do you guys feel about that? Um, I really like it. I mean, we essentially uh, we we just finished a feature, so we wanted to just do something fun, knock something out real quick, and uh, 
did something experimental this time. So uh, I haven't made anything like this, so I'm interested to see what people think. Well, let's jump right into that. So the name of your film, The Year 4000, you wrote it, you directed it, and it's got a pretty great premise. I, and I love the kind of art that you have going around with it. I wish I could show you, but of course, we're on a, a podcast, <laughs> and that kind of limits it. But it's a 21-minute short film about a sitcom family that is dragged through alternate dimensions after a car crash while they're on vacation. So it sounds like... <laughs> Uh, Relatable. Know. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Something for everybody. Exactly. Same, right? It's is there a, a laugh track? Uh, there is. You're it, kidding it's a, me. It's a sitcom. I'm it's officially just, in. It's a straight up just uh, my version of a sitcom. So it's the Partridge family by way of... <laughs> Rick and I, Morty? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it, it's like juxtaposed, I think, with like 50 different things that are on my brain. So a lot of it was kind of just... Uh, what will this all look like in the end? So just uh, get it out. Just get it out, and we'll see. And uh, and I dig it. I uh, I was trying to see if I made it with the mindset of being the most pretentious person possible. <laughs> I think I would get something funny and enjoyable. Very so nice. it's just made in that in that vein. So when did you start with this idea? When did you start writing? Oh, uh, I had I was in Colorado like two years ago and then um i was hanging out doing what you do in colorado like on the mountains and i was like what do you mean <laughs> playing with the animals right no, yeah. was, taking in the John air Denver, you know i was riding a deer down the mountain and, <laughs> and as you do as you do <laughs> blew out and just thought of like 50 things at once and was like all right i'll smash these together because it revolves around these mountain locations i have and so just shooting what was around me just became, uh, I don't know, the thread for uh, Dave ended up being in a scene where we ended up finishing everything besides outside in my living room. So we think that we might try to do like a, a bi-monthly living room film and just see what we come up with. So, uh, yeah. I like that. It's a, that's a genre. <laughs> right. The yeah. living room film. How, how delightfully I, Dogma 95 of you. Well, when I was in college, I made a shot-for-shot shot remake of Natalie Imbrugula's Torn. Yes. But she's <laughs> taken it down a bunch and then threatened legal action like oh, last yeah. year. <laughs> like paperwork in the mail legal action. So. Oh, wow. That so is no. assist legal action. Look yeah. at that. That's you great. must be flattered. Yeah. yeah I was. an accomplishment. <laughs> I was. We linked it to her uh, on YouTube, and I guess she actually saw it. <laughs> she's like acting. Actively fighting against relevance right now. I know, I know. <laughs> and I thought it was pretty good. It was a dedication. But I look, I look awful. I play her on it. So. Oh. oh, she may oh, have okay. taken it the wrong way. Okay, I can understand. I mean, that's that. that's all right yeah. though. I think there's a there's a level of artistic merit that is uh, misunderstood when doing remakes uh, or like homages I feel like that's you know something saying I like this a lot let me do a version of it that's too bad that they, that she would take uh, exception to that um, with the with the year 4000 I, this idea of the sitcom family and you just mentioned there is a laugh track in it so it's yeah. very understanding of itself what were the sitcom influences on this oh so like I think where a lot of this stemmed from is I past couple years I've done a lot of like hate watching so like wasting hours watching <laughs> shows I don't like Ooh. and through that <laughs> I get this nihilistic expression so it's like walking in the room and finally being seeing like Big Bang Theory and being like oh, God. this is what people like and <laughs> I mean that sounds really mean but it's just <laughs> it's not my thing watch? yeah exactly I'm such I'd like the other realm of, uh, of understanding it that I was trying to understand it and so I think that uh, uh, it's it's like pay, playing an homage to Big Bang Theory, but just with 
every amount of like disgust that I have when I when I hear Bazinga. Did you ever think that you would maybe not put a laugh track in? Because I don't know if you've seen those edited videos on YouTube, like the Big Bang Theory without laughter. Oh, it's I dark. And it's hor- It's really scary. It's so good. Yeah. yeah. I originally wasn't going to, but uh, I feel like when I'm not doing like comedy stuff, some of my other movies are like horror ones, and they're such bummers. And all of my friends and crew were just like, just put a laugh, make it somewhat acceptable. Tell us how to feel. People. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, they're like, put something in. They're like, you're last one was such a bummer <laughs> in a good way for them but still i thought uh, it was funny yeah it had comedy in it you just different types. did you find yourself laughing at it before the laugh track oh i haven't seen the new film i oh. just mean his last oh, horror yeah. film oh, i thought it was gotcha, hilarious gotcha 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 so you're moving for would you call the year 4000 a comedy is this is just the left turn from your usual horror yeah oh yeah i think that it's just for me it's just really funny mm-hmm. and um i think that uh uh, it was almost like painting an abstract image that makes only you laugh. And so a lot of it was just building this thing. And I'm just really excited to see what anyone's reaction is, because uh, I think it's the first thing that I've made where I, I've already showed a couple people. And like my girlfriend had an interesting opinion of it and yes. a couple of friends. Like, what is this? And I think when you make something and you're so honed into it. Even if it is goofy and nonsense, uh, I'm able to just kind of love every opinion of it. So even if someone hates it, it's come from a place of hate, (laughs) like Big Bang Theory. But at the same time, I'm crafting it with some love. So it's very interesting. A lot more mixed emotions with a piece as silly as this than just doing a horror film. Where do you try to find the comedy in in this kind of... Not hate, maybe not hate, but this kind of uh, bitter look. I don't know because it's uh, we all watch. We've seen the Big Bang Theory. I feel like everyone's seen some. You've never seen it, Spence? Not a single moment. Consider of it. yourself. You're, you're gonna be okay. You're gonna be okay. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and it's not even by virtue of me disliking that genre. I don't watch a lot of sitcoms in general. Sure. Currently, uh, you know, it's just not really a part of my thing, but. Uh, I don't know. Whenever I hear stuff about it, and you can, you know, I mean, you've got a lot of vitriol to spew <laughs> at that particular thing. But, you know, I, I, when something is crafted um, so heavily um, at, you know, kind of aiming at your geek chakra, you know, I, I, I'm always a little wary of it because most of the stuff, like, I don't know how many geeks we got in the room, you know, comic book people. Dungeons and Dragons people, etc., yeah. etc. I think, yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah. The stuff that is made in those realms, you know, from your Star Trek to your Doctor Who to your, to your Rick and Morty's and all that stuff, it, it's made with a lot of love and an earnest kind of appreciation for whatever the storytelling craft is. So when things come out that are like more of a just a response to that, like it, ironic, yeah, it's it, like an impersonation. It, it feels a bit disingenuous, doesn't it? Yeah. So. For that reason, I haven't been attracted to the show. Yeah, sounds like I'm not going to get a lot of glowing endorsements. <laughs> no, <laughs> but if you know, probably going to love Dustin's film. <laughs> <laughs> right. So I like this idea of the traveling through alternate dimensions. Like that's really yeah. where, where. Why put the sitcom family hurtling through alternate dimensions? So I, I can tease a little bit more. Um, uh, none of this is really laid out, but the motivation for a lot of the imagery was this guy's in an accident, um, and he the only way to help him from this uh, brain hemorrhage that he has is this just 
uh, nameless piece of technology from Tech Corp, something as generic as that. And he has this chip in his head, and while he's recuperating at home, he's watching TV. So things that he sees become manifest and affect uh, just normal things that you see in any sitcom. So uh, the long-form idea of this is something that's like six episodes, but where this film is just going to cover um, how to help your daughter date. Should she date, et cetera? So it's about just tackling something that would be in a sitcom, but doing it under the guise of this person taking in these television signals that are manifesting these dimensions around him. Oh, so it's like a morality tale, sort of. Yeah, yeah, cool. exactly. I like the meta commentary of having a sitcom family watching TV and being like, T- televisionized. I don't know what the word would be like. This prototypical, sta- uh, you know television family watching television and then becoming even more oh, yeah. stereotypically yes. sick damn there's kind of a matryoshka doll of uh, you know, themes there. putting a hat on a hat yeah sort of in the same vein of tom's question i was curious is that like a an uh concerted like commentary on sitcoms because i feel like a big part of a sitcom to the general audience is like the comfortability with the setting you know yeah. like people you go to the school and you've been there a million times or and you come home to their home a million times but was that like a concerted effort oh, on your part no absolutely okay yeah because like like i said um, i i tried making it as pretentious as possible so i sat down <laughs> and i was like asking my friends i was like ask me just all these stupid questions and i was showing like art i was drawing for some ideas and trying to come up with justification legitimate for everything because even if it doesn't come across it's like in the bones of the piece i feel like so sure. it's kind of uh a re- maybe not retroactive but working backwards from the sense that you have something and then you have to explain it it seems like a a real raw creativity like let's get all these things and make it work yeah no absolutely and i think that um that was part of the fun and the drive of like all right let's make this in a month before the screening because a lot of it was like that was just like all right let's make a a a wastelander sci-fi outfit out of garbage and yeah, all all the costumes are are fair trade and recyclable, and <laughs> that that's a marketing point. Fair trade costumes, yeah, yeah, right. it's next well, generation. Though. What's it like working on that kind of tight of a schedule? Oh, um, I like it because um, uh, it just it forces me to do stuff and it forces me to make decisions and stick with them. And I feel like the only way I can grow at this point because I've gotten to a point where I feel comfortable in my aesthetic and what I want to make. But I kind of need those things to be like a, an invisible teacher, like forcing me to do something because mm-hmm. you'll trip up and then find something new. And I don't know. I, I've been forcing the, these things on me kind of like lessons to, to grow in some capacity. Yeah. The uh, the art of restriction seems to be very helpful in a lot of ways to to make something that is a little bit risky. I mean, just just from the, the description of this and the fact that you're putting it inside of inside of a month. You said you're, it took you, you know, you gave yourself a month to basically make this movie. Uh, do you like being a little bit more risky and being like, maybe we don't plan this out so much and maybe we don't, you know, uh, have everything down to the Kubrickian detail and just kind of let it flow? <laughs> yeah, I feel like whenever um, it's like my past feature, you know, I, I, I had a budget for it. And uh, for things like this that are just kind of going to be something that's free online, something I want to just push out and give. Those are the projects I like to put the restrictions on because if my aim is just to put something free out there and connect with people, I'm not going to, like, destroy any of my opportunities at making more projects by throwing all my money in. So I try to just make something from just the heart. Like, all right, here's something. Take it. 
and throw it out. Mm-hmm. It's like a palate cleanser before your next yeah. big big project. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's cool. So with Ready Freddy Films, uh, when did you decide I'm going to form this production company or just this uh, name to be under? When did you decide that was what you wanted to do? Oh, I did it. Um, uh, I first thought of the name uh, the year I graduated in 2009 and then made a movie like this STD horror film. And then it didn't go over well because it's like the first movie efforts. Mm-hmm. I still have it. No one will ever see it unless they're <laughs> just hanging out with me. But it was um, through a pro- uh, through that process, like connected like 10 other great people and then just moved forward from there. So the name's been around a while, but we haven't really started doing dedicated stuff with the rollout until like probably three years ago. Mm-hmm. Can we talk a little more about the STD film? Yeah, yeah, short-term I, disability. It kind of reminds me of It Follows, right? Sort of in that vein. Yeah, it was called Spots, and it was about this, like... <laughs> so, excuse me, I just, just for our listeners really quick, you, by STD, you do mean short-term disability, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, it's an insurance-based horror film. Exactly. <laughs> You've never seen anything like it. Yeah. That's why no one will see it. It didn't do that. <laughs> the mounds of paperwork. Yes. Oh, God. The horror. Spots. That's great. So, what, what? Give us, give us the synopsis. What is Spots about? Uh, so, it was, it, it's about like this seventeen-year-old um, uh, gonna turn eighteen, going into college. This nerdy uh, uh, rack who is trying uh, at his core just to get laid, and he takes to Avenue like Craigslist and ends oh. up uh, uh, hooking up with someone. And every time he gets sexual urges, he gets these like. Uh, pus-filled spots that appear all over his body. Mm. So a lot of the movie is uh, it, it dove into body horror uh, heavily, and um, at the same time, someone actually starts liking him. So then he has to combat while actually having this this uh, affections for this newer person, and gives it to them, and then it all it all starts spiraling out. Wow! So, Can I yeah. see this? Yeah. Can you like? <laughs> I'll give you password my protected. Yeah. <laughs> that almost sounds like what if Cronenberg decided to do like a after school special? Yeah. <laughs> right? situation. That's, this I'll is your that. body on sex. <laughs> <laughs> and I wanted to see. So uh, a lot of filmmakers uh, do start out in that horror genre because it's very easy to do a lot of fun things in a shorter period of time low budget mm-hmm. and uh you know and it gives you all the experience that you you want are there any genres that you really want to work in in the future or do you want to stick to like horror maybe some comedy in here with the year 4000 oh yeah i love uh writing so much so i i like i pretty much find value out of most genres and i feel like the only aim to make money off it is so I could do an action movie because I love yeah. like martial arts movies, but that I need some money to do that. I can't really do Naturally. a low budget version of that. But that's that that's the the a goal to get up to that action genre, yeah. a kung fu action. Yeah, genre. It, it'd be kung fu, and it would have to have some d- actors that are actually dedicated and <laughs> it's some time and effort. But like I don't know, there's not very many good action movies out, and uh, I just appreciate the old school skill, and uh, it's one of those things that. That would be so awesome to do. How, just out of curiosity, I mean, how do you feel about the, like, John Wick movies and this kind of oh, turn are, into that sort of thing? Yeah, I dig those. I dig those a lot. I feel like um, uh, there isn't what that movie lacks for me, and it's coming from someone who does like it, uh, is I still not seeing, like, an action filmmaker uh, uh, that is, like, mainstream that has their own like aesthetic like John Wick is cool the choreography is awesome and it has independent 
neat qualities to it, but like I just didn't get like an overall like like it sounds lame, but like Michael Bay has his own aesthetic. Like I don't like that's, it, but, but look, that's it. it yeah. is, you yeah. know, a Michael like Michael Bay is a genre unto himself. Yes, it doesn't matter what he's working in. Like Pearl Harbor and Transformers are the same thing in terms <laughs> yes. of genre. No, that's very interesting, and I think um, there is something to be said about that, especially as we are starting to get, uh, I guess, what you could call John Wick clones, um, yeah. Atomic Blonde. As as much as I enjoyed parts of that, and a lot, like you said, choreography and. It, it did look cool, had that nice 80s thing, but I didn't feel like it had a real stamp on it. Um, I know Proud Mary with Taraji P. Henson is coming out. I have high hopes for that because I love Taraji P. Henson. I have high hopes too, but it has this sort of look where it also, like you were talking about, it it, it seems to lack uh, its own kind of personal aesthetic. Yeah. You know? Um, I mean, I, I remember uh, The Raid, you know, had that kind of very uh, particular look and feel to it and i don't know where the film like where that lies with john wick in terms of the timeline you know like what came first or mm-hmm. that but it, it it certainly feels like a lot of things kind of come from that wellspring or what's the selma hayek movie uh oh goodness it's frida frida yes <laughs> frida the, bu- the, 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 bus, the bus scene yeah. you're thinking of totally totally <laughs> now there's a, there's a movie that's like the raid sort of inverted that stars Selma Hayek where right. she like like a bunch like instead of having to like beat your way into a building she has to like survive in a, a single room in a building with guns and hmm. all sorts of weird oh. stuff going on around her and it looks like I might be the only person yeah I've never heard yeah, that you're one yeah. I'm yeah. Yeah. This maybe this is like a screenplay so. idea that you have <laughs> I dreamed it were you definitely awake yeah I was funny. definitely awake and yeah for the life of me I can't recall the name of the movie I'm gonna say it at random when we're like on an entirely different yeah, subject yeah, and everyone's yeah. gonna be like what we'll get to it we'll, we'll cut around uh, engineer can we fix that in post yeah Please. and then we'll, and then we'll <laughs> play our We'll put it here so that you seem like you have a really great memory. Totally. We'll insert totally. a callback graphic at that point. Yeah. Ooh, cool. Cool. Um, I want to ask, Dustin, you said that you're going to be releasing the year 4000 for free. Is that true? Yeah. That's um, just going to be up on YouTube? Um, yeah. Well, I put most of my stuff on uh, on Vimeo. Vimeo is a great um, platform. Yeah, just because, like, I just hate the resolution. ad stuff and sure. the resolution. Yeah, all the obvious stuff, but, like, face, I just hate the, the ad thing. Like, that's off the gate. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, no, I like, uh, I try to fulfill, um, if you go to uh, readyfreddyfilms.com, there's lots of, like, uh, free stuff that we've already put up. So we try to, every, like, six months, like, put some free content on and, uh, you know, put some, some quality in it, too. So we'll be- and they often make their own commercial breaks within their oh, films. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we did start making some new commercials in the same like nihilistic vein that the year four thousand's done in. So we did like a fancy feast and like a hoarder like waking well, what up. What was the Audi the Audi one was oh, the, my favorite? Oh I love the oh, Audi one. Sweet. So you can check that all out over <laughs> check out Ready Freddy Films. You guys are on Facebook, right? Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. Thank Ready Freddy Films on Facebook. Um I want to one more question with it, in this idea of you know putting things up for free on Vimeo, I feel like we're reaching kind of an interesting place in um, in movie distribution or even you know TV distribution. Obviously, we've gotten to this Netflix hump, and every everybody's got their own streaming service and everything like that. Less people are going to actual theaters. Being a filmmaker at this particular level, is it better to put these things up so people can just see them and become interested? 
or is at what point does uh financing come into that being like okay got i can do one for you guys but i gotta do another one for me that you might need to rent on amazon prime oh totally yeah i try to find a balance uh with those so um anything that goes free online which we i mean we have a, a free feature up and we have another full feature that'll be coming up soon um those only cost me uh one of them cost me like eight hundred dollars and the most recent one cost me like two grand so it's not really that bad of like an expensive business card i mean sure. uh, so i feel like uh I only put up something there that I'm proud of, but um, those, I think you just kind of have to do that at this point, because if you're aiming for a realistic level, like, I I mean, I could just tell someone, like, hey, give me 150000 and we could do a movie, and I think shooting in that area right now is a, is a nice sweet spot to retain um, uh, control of it and kind of do what you want. Absolutely. All right, we're going to take a quick break here, and when we come back, we'll move on and start talking about this brand new feature coming from Soft Cage Films, Mandala. It's the third in the in the in this anthology that they've been working on over at Soft Cage. Fantastic stuff. Back in just a bit here on No Coast Cinema. Welcome back, everybody. You're listening to No Coast Cinema here on WGN. We are your guide to cinema here in the city of Chicago. What's that? Sleigh drops. Chills every fucking time. I'm Tom Hush. And I'm Connor Cornelius. And we're very happy to have you again back for this, uh, this episode that we're having so much fun on. This has been really enjoyable so far. I hope you're having as much fun as we are. Uh, joined today by Reverend David Holcomb and Spence Warren from Softcage Films and Dustin Bueller from Ready Freddy Films, some of my favorite people in the Chicago film scene. And uh, so glad they could join us. They have a huge event that just happened. At the time of recording, it's happening tonight. When you're listening to this, it will have already happened. Air, uh, pre- premiering three fantastic films Down the Rabbit Hole The Year 4000 and Mandala We talked a little bit with uh, Dustin about The Year 4000 and I want to get into Mandala in just a second here but uh, first I want to say uh, congratulations to Spence Warren for joining Soft Cage Films as well, a board member thank you when I talked to David David and I had a conversation it was a very intimate conversation by cell phone and uh, <laughs> it was a few days after uh, we had wrapped on a uh, film that I was directing, am directing. We're still in post on it. And um, he said, hey, man, I really like the way you run a set. It's pretty cool, man. And I'm, we're trying to do stuff here. We're trying to grow. We're trying to be big, be groovy. Those aren't the exact words he used, but, you know. Groovy is Spence's word. That, that's, that's kind of the way that I remember. Whenever people talk to me, the way that I remember it is, hey, man, we're just trying to do stuff and be groovy. And, you, know, uh, you remember it in your voice? <laughs> yeah, I do. I remember it in that voice. And I was like, Dave, I have the very reverend. Can we call him the very reverend? Yeah, David sure. Holcomb? Very merry um, reverend. <laughs> you know, I, I was like, Rev, I, I don't call him that, but I will now. Um, I've never sat on the board of anything, like ever. You sure about this? And he's like, I'm sure about this. So then we did the board meeting, and the rest is is history. 
Because none of us have sat in a board either, so we're all yeah. kind of figuring it out. Just figuring it out, man. We've so. never worked construction, never sat in a board. So yeah. many things that we haven't done. <laughs> yeah. Never, yeah. Never, you know, been to space. Yeah. Never. <laughs> but if I invited you. <laughs> Would I go? Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. So what are some of your duties as being part of the uh, the board for Soft Cage Films? I know it's a it's a non-for-profit. It's, yes, you know, that's what are your duties. It, you know, that's funny. Let me take um, notes. I feel like, <laughs> you know, I actually, I feel like I was able to glean, like, part of my, because uh, the meeting was as much for me to see if this is the right fit for me as it was for them to see if I'm the right fit for them. Um, and I was able to glean that all of our duties are to be be vigilant on each of the projects that we're all making and to bring as many resources to bear as we can uh, to help to build this thing to make it larger than it was last year. Uh, to be involved uh in a vision of Chicago filmmaking that is about uh, finding a, a vision, you know, and I know that that's a weird use of the same word over and over, but it's like, I, I think that w- there's an opportunity here to engage people uh, in an artistic vision that's not about uh, selling products and about um softcagefilms.com we got merch up there (laughs) (laughs) and no we do not do sales (laughs) but it's not all about it's a barter system but but that's not i mean that's not about selling products it's not about um you know sort of getting people uh to an empty experience but rather that's about getting whatever the most creative bit of yourself is out there to share. Um, And there's a lot of different visions and that wellspring can create some great works, some stuff that uh, people can really unite around and get behind. And I think that that's part of what's made soft cage um, sort of a celebrated thing in um, indie small circles around the city. And I think that that's what will continue to help it grow. So, Ultimately, um, my responsibility is to be another part of what helps it grow. And you guys have been growing at a just a fantastic pace, both as a as a name and also uh, creatively. I know when we originally brought you on, uh, David, well, a while ago, you've been on twice, I, th- I believe. Uh, this is the third time. Yeah, third time you've been on here, and each time I go back and I look at Soft Cage, I'm on the website checking out, and I'm looking back at these, you know, uh, these works I've already seen, and I just I'm so struck every time about how much uh, you guys have grown, and but also how mature uh, the the films are already. Like okay. looking back, you're seeing that Hope you know they're not too mature. No, <laughs> but like I mean, these are these are films that are made with a great amount of care and a great amount of forethought. I mean, I've got the DVD for Graffito, and I'm like, I can't believe that this came out in 2014. I feel like this was made 
by this was made today because it's still so vibrant and so vital. But then you get to Pilgrim and you're like, oh my god, this is this is even better. 2015 breaking. Oh my god, I keep I keep forgetting how good these are. And you go back and watch them. Well, I'm really excited for you to see Mandala because yes. Pilgrim, Breaking, Mandala, those three films go together in that order. So this is the culmination of those stories. Absolutely. Um, can you talk real quick about how about thematically how these uh, stories are grouped together? They're part of an anthology. Yeah, so we wanted to showcase these overlooked uh, members of our society that perform essential functions. So taxi driver, mm-hmm. um, a nanny, um, and in this final one, a janitor. So people that we see every day, but we never really um, look in their faces. And we we uh, we are chipping away at their livelihood through our use of, of technology. Um, and we're just sort of exploring who benefits from these things. You know, the customer... Uh, the corporations, the workers, um, the politicians, and sort of trying to weave that all together into this story that takes place in the here and now. And hopefully... Um <laughs> we'll cut that. Sorry, you were you were going on. We just had to. Yeah. Sorry. Okay. Just, just, that was their version of. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Thank you. Um, yeah, I don't know what else to say about it. Um, <laughs> no, I <laughs> lost my train of thought. I'm sorry. Oh my god, what a gaffe. We, what I what I was trying to do is I wanted to play a little uh, from the Mandala trailer that you oh, have up on cool. on Soft Cage Film, yeah. just to give hey, people a little bit of a. Context. A little bit of a primer on uh, what what they will be able to see. There it is, yeah. So shout out to John Sutton. He's our composer. He did Graffito, and he's done these last three films. Um, we love custom soundtracks for all of our films. Going into the studio once the film's complete and, and throwing it up on the wall and running right. through scenes. And then at the end, giving the musicians a chance to just improvise as we run the film, you know, from top to bottom and just let them kind of feel it out. And then we end up kind of mixing all that stuff together. So try to, um, much as we shoot our films, trying to, like, really embrace certain elements of chaos and uh, improvisation. And but you can even hear it. Listen. Yeah. Ooh. So John That's, Sutton composed uh, that, and he also helped write it with Heather Mingo, who you guys have worked with throughout, since what, Yellow? Is that right? Um, or so City of Lust? Yellow, I wrote with a f- couple of scenes written by some friends of mine that are playwrights, but they came aboard um, on Graffito. Yeah, that okay. was our first. They moved to New York for a while, so when they moved back, um, we kind of reconnected. Very cool. Yeah. And... Um, I think I think it's going to be a great way to round off this this anthology, and I think it, the whole idea that you guys went for was just great because you know you're making films about, as you said, people that are kind of overlooked by society. I really I think um, obviously I have not seen Mandala yet, but uh, my favorite thus far has been Pilgrim. Like cool. I just love Pilgrim so much. <laughs> the look of it, the idea of the story and just where it goes and in the weird genre. Yeah, exactly. And it's it's kind of take on um the ride sharing thing. Like what's what's the name of the company? They're like Lasso. Lasso. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. The, they it, make some appearances in this new film too. Bless. Nice. I'm so yeah. glad they're back because we, uh, they're we actually we actually pulled I don't even know if I should say this, but we pulled the the Uber recently had a, their CEO had some 
he was he was caught he was recorded like flipping out on some employee. Yeah, they've mm-hmm. had a lot of problems with their management um, sort of thing. So he released this like um you know sort of a non-apology. <laughs> yeah. And so we opened one of the scenes with the Lasso CEO repeating that word for word in front of this huge crowd. And then at the end, wrapping it all up by going over how profitable the company is and how it's growing and all this great stuff, which is verbatim what this guy said. Yeah. It's like, yeah, I may have freaked out and I need to address those kinds of things, but we're you know, up to whatever billion rides a year and under my leadership, all this great stuff has happened. So can't we just sort of <laughs> sweep this under the rug and move on? <laughs> Oh, my God. And then does the main character from Mandala come in and actually start sweeping things <laughs> under the rug? I'm not going to give it away. No, okay. it, this one gets very surreal and slightly spiritual and has elements of horror. So I'm really interested to see how all these films kind of fit together because my plan is to take the three films – Intercut the first two so that they build to the third and then make that a feature film. Really? And already, last night I was just having this discussion with Heather, one of our writers. Um, There were things that I had just, I had totally forgotten because we made Pilgrim three years ago. And there's certain characters that reoccur or actors that we reused in different roles that now... I was, you know, I was, I was, I had a moment of panic thinking, oh God, that doesn't really work. But then it does work in a very, very strange, bizarre way. So I'm interested to see how these things like, these ideas start to come out that maybe we hadn't anticipated, but because the concept was so uh, focused that it's inevitable that it'll just work, you know? That is a fascinating way to kind of recontextualize the art, though, because they work individually as a self-contained thing uh, with their own themes. But it's funny that you would look back and you're just when you're just like, okay, let's see if we can cut it together and see how these things speak to each other. uh, Just as one example, in the story of Breaking, we introduced this character of the mayor um, and she's um, married to a woman who is um, a model. And so, like, their home is covered in these, like, high fashion um, photo shoots, and and uh, she's very high strung, and we kind of explore her character even further in Mandala. And then last night, I was putting up information about the film on IMDb, and I realized, oh, the actress that played uh, this model, she was actually in Pilgrim, and I had totally forgotten. She plays, like, one of these promotional models that's at a bar handing out, like, free rideshare passes. <laughs> And then I was thinking, wait, no, that works because it's actually a little a little sadder that the mayor didn't end up marrying like a high art fashion model, but she married like a promotional model. So it's like the the stature and the weight of of that, you know, uh, type of personality is even brought down further because of the way we set it up in the first one without even knowing it. That's wild. That's wild. And you've since you've you started this and and this being both the anthology and soft cage films, you've been doing this for a num a number of years now, and making these films over that time. I, and this goes. I'll throw this out to everybody here because you guys have been all doing this for a little while. How has the Chicago film community changed over time as you've been doing this? Both your role in it and also just the overall community. What have you seen grow, change, fall away from it over this um, this number of years? Um, I think that we're getting more attention due to the big Dick Wolf shows. Um, <clears throat> Can I say that on here? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) 
We'll beep it. I did think we'll for a it. second. I'm like, who's Dick Wolf? <laughs> <laughs> Is that a DJ? When you use the word big in such close uh, succession, that's where we have a problem. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, Little Dick Wolf, <laughs> producer of think, Chicago yeah. Dick. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's really like forced filmmakers to sort of embrace a different, you know, a. a, a um, a vision or an aesthetic that's uniquely ours because we see someone that's kind of associated with New York coming in and trying to make shows that take place in Chicago but don't feel very Chicago and and sort of exploit certain issues um, without having that firsthand experience or dealing with them in a nuanced way. And um, while people are getting a lot of work, um, I've heard horror stories just about the process and people that I really connect with, like Spence and Dustin, it's because I see the process and I'm like, that's how I want to make films. And let's make let's focus on making them a certain way. And then we just have to trust that the end result is going to be something that's very intentional because I don't think you can make something beautiful and profound and and that's going to last forever if the process is just ugly and damaging and not respectful very much and so. not fun it's got to be fun yeah exactly yeah well there's this thing right like when you're working on big movies or commercials, like my bread and butter job is, um, you know, I work as a art director on commercials mostly, but I also worked in some TV. And you know, the thing that we sort of accept as film workers is that there's going to be a modicum of misery with every job yeah. you do, and um, sometimes that misery is compounded. And a lot of folks just say, "Well, it's just the business," you know. It's and 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 really, it's just it's the way that people do the business. You know, it's individuals. You, there are some jobs like. You know, Steven Soderbergh was in town um, a few years ago, um, one of my first art department jobs, um, doing a movie called Contagion. And, I mean, the experience of working on it was pretty easy breezy for most people on the production. Like, you know, we were shooting for, like, six hours some days and, like... You know the office environment was generally pretty friendly and nice, so it's like you know this is and this is a big movie with a bunch of movie stars in it. So you, you can, do you think he set that tone and just kind of absolutely? Yeah. I think that it always comes from the top. When directors I've worked on other productions that I won't name, where the directors <laughs> were not nice people, and it always trickles down. You're always in situations where there's high stress environments because um, directors and or producers are um, are tyrants. Um, and they place this really strong importance on immediacy. You know, I and have hierarchy this thing. Too. I want it right now, and if you don't give it to me, then you're a liability. <clears throat> and that just trickles through all the departments. So, Whoa. you know, we it's can dark. we can make movies. <laughs> we can we can make movies better than that, and we can we can create uh, circumstances like we were talking about. You know, and we talked about a lot on on on, on that shoot. Um, this idea that there's that movie, and if you've ever been to like uh, film school, you know, and been to a film festival, you've seen that movie where it's like there's a guy with a beard in a bathtub, <laughs> and it's a long shot, and he's so crying. far it sounds like Dustin. Yeah, yeah. that's like four <laughs> of my movie. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just he's there and he's just crying. For like five minutes, and then he walks into some rooms and sighs, <laughs> t- 
turns off and on lights and then goes into another room and does some more sighing and or crying. <laughs> but it's not a comedy. And then it's back to the bathtub. Yeah. And then, and then no, now he's in the bedroom and he picks up a phone Rinse and, and he starts arguing with someone that we don't see or hear. And then he hangs up the phone, and then we hold on like another three or four minutes of him sobbing in the bed, and then fade to black. And it's like, you know, sounds really good. That's (laughs) (laughs) it's miserable to work on those movies. Good because we're raising one hundred and fifty thousand dollars right now to make that movie. (laughs) You know, I mean, it's just and nothing against people who want to make that movie. It's just that you know, I think that you have to kind of earn your way to it. Yeah, you know, Um, for the time that we're like asking people to come out and work out for very little money or for free or whatever like I think it's kind of our job to make fun movies like stuff that people can kind of get behind um, artistically so you know working on Breaking that was the first project that uh, Dave and I did together I um, I did a little bit of a pinch hit art direction <laughs> for it you know pinch hit prop mastering probably would be a more proper <laughs> pinch hit prop. I wish there. I'd put that in the, in the credits now <laughs> you should have pinch hit prop master pinch hit prop master you know, not allowed in the National League <laughs> no, 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 no. I was, I was definitely a minor league uh, pitch hit prop master on that. But yeah, you know, I mean, it, it was. Th- there's this sense of like a really, really strong politique with this movie, and a really, really strong sort of artful. Um, personal vision that so many of the people who had been working on it shared, and that's that's something that is just it, it's it's contagious. You know, you feel it. You know, I imagine that that was true on this movie that you're talking about where, you know, you're out there in the mountains and you're coming up oh, yeah. with this. Yeah, I mean, I feel like you, you have a duty at our level to make it fun for everybody because, I mean, I don't know. I look at everything that I make as just a conversation you're having. Like, here's some here's some silly stuff. Here's some ideas. And the movie about the sad guy who's crying, like, we've all had that conversation in our daily lives a whole bunch. So unless it's something new and unique and original... And I feel like that, uh, yeah, you have to have that driving force at our level. Or else people are going to get bored. Yeah. So have all three of you, Spencer, you have, have all three of you guys worked in not necessarily like film projects outside of the independent film scene? Yeah. So would you say that that commitment to fun, I guess, or just like passion, would you say that you'd found that in more more large productions? Or is it something that's kind of inherent to the independent film scene? It depends on the movie. Sure. It depends sure. on the commercial. Um, you know, uh, I don't know if it's cool to say people's st- – okay, well, you know what? When you say something positive, it's okay to say people's names. So there's some local filmmakers. are called the Norman Brothers, and I've worked with them a couple times. They're remarkably creative, very generous, very smart. They're a directing duo, which sometimes can be a very difficult thing to deal with. But in their case, it's like you can talk to one, talk to the other, and their visions are always intertwined and you're getting new information. It's great. So, you know, in situations like that, there's all sorts of fun to be had even when it's, you know, you're selling shoes or soft drinks or, you know, whatever. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's just putting ego aside. Like, I've worked on some bigger film shoots in Chicago where producers and directors came in from L.A., um, but the below-the-line people were all from Chicago. And so without having to go to L.A. and try to get on a shoot, I was sort of able to see, like, the stark difference in, in the philosophy and just basically confirmed my conviction that this is the place for me and how... I think that with all that's happening in L.A., you know, with the uh, 
harassment and and the 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 toxic power structures. I feel like we have an opportunity to build something from the bottom up with a whole new set of values. And so that's what I'm really excited about is finding people that are so focused on, like you said, you know, my job as a director is to sort of like uh, craft this atmosphere. It's kind of an abstract thing. We were talking about this a lot. That's why I really uh, connected with Spence on his on his <coughs> set because at our level now, with with a lot of exceptions, we're not always the person holding the camera or like you know slating or doing a whole lot of hands-on tangible stuff that literally ends up on screen. So our job is more to like take every person's idea, recognize what the best one is, and say, okay, this is the new game plan. We're all going to start running, you know. Uh, with this vision and making sure we're all telling the same story, but not all the ideas have to be mine, and not all of my ideas are the best. And if you poke a hole in my idea, I'm, I'm certainly happy to take your idea and 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 adapt it so that it fits into our story. It's not necessarily directing by committee, but it's definitely um, like a clear vision that we're constantly re-editing. Um, but kind of going back to what Spence was saying earlier about the board. Um, I think that was a big reason that I wanted to bring him on, too, is just to keep us honest and um, keep our integrity in terms of, like, our vision and our mission statement and what we're trying to do so that that always comes first. And then making the most exciting, bold, artistic decisions – because we're a nonprofit. Like, it's great. We don't have to, you know, make money. We don't have to, like, Mm -hmm. uh, please our investors. There's no producer telling me, oh, oh, you can't do that. You know, if it – is in line with our values and our mission statement, then yeah, hell yeah, we can do it. And we're going to be as ambitious as, and, and try to bring in as many fireworks as we possibly can for each production, even if it is dark. I mean, you're talking about a guy sitting alone in a hotel room, and instantly I'm like, oh, I've got like 100 ideas about where this could go, you know? And that was just like a lack of ideas, not like that story doesn't work or that you know, emotion of loneliness and isolation doesn't work. Yeah. It's just that we're used to creating an illusion. So if you want to do something slow, you can create that illusion without it actually literally being slow. It can still feel slow without it being yeah. actually slow. It's it's like proper regard for audience engagement, yeah. I think, is something that a lot of us, um, like I am one of very few people who do what we do and who work in this business um, that I know anyway, who is like a staunch proponent of film school. I think it's a great idea. If, if it is within you to do it, go to do it because there is the best place to sow your creative wild oats and make that movie that we just talked about where you're, you know, where there's no <laughs> regard for that. And get all the mistakes get, out of your system. You, you get that out of your system and then you can craft, if you want to make that film in the future, you craft the version of it that can actually invite your audience in. You know, to 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 learn who your characters are and to connect with the story in some way, form, or fashion. Reminds me of a blues traveler song called "The Hook." Yeah, <laughs> the, the hook will bring you down. Wow, that, I the, gotta say that's the, the first time I've heard br- blues traveler brought up. Be like, man, you know what? This really reminds me <laughs> of a blues traveler song. Something. Let me let like, me. <laughs> everybody's quiet for a second. Be like, wow, yeah, blues you traveler. Know, you know, blue. <laughs> John oh, Popper, man. man. Oh yeah. Wow. 
The, uh, the bard, yeah. I think they call him. <laughs> the bard. <laughs> wow, you guys have given us a lot to chew on. Like, yeah. Both blues traveler and 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 let's and be the, honest here that that everything you guys said is uh, part of the reason that the Chicago film community is so uh, important right now, and especially like thinking about like this idea of someone like Dick Wolf who thinks that he can just come in here and be like, oh, if we mention deep dish pizza, then they'll know we're in Chicago. <laughs> and uh, and that's not to disparage this. I do appreciate this idea of having bigger productions coming into the city and bringing work for people, you know, people who can be extras, people who can work on the set in the behind the scenes roles. That's super important. And I like this idea that Chicago is being more recognized as somewhere where we can make movies on a large scale. Yeah, like all my friends are getting their SAG cards finally. It's right. pretty cool. That's very that's great that they're able to do that. However, I do fear that it will um kind of stamp down the real heart of what's happening in Chicago and the identity of Chicago, which is being represented um Oh, I have through, a funny sorry to interrupt, yeah, but no. I just thought of this when I was in Spain. Like three years ago, shooting a documentary, we, we were invited into a family's house, and we were about to have dinner, and the TV was on, and they, like, pointed at the TV and looked at me like, did you see what we what we did? And they had, like, Chicago PD or something on there, or Chicago <laughs> Fire, and they're like, from, from Chicago, like you, and we're just like, okay, um, how do we... How do we explain the difference between that and Chicago, Chicago? So it that's my biggest worry about this stuff is yeah. that, like, I know it's not us, but then other people see it and they're like, oh, that's that's them. Yeah, there's the Prudential Building. Like, yeah. that yeah. must be Chicago. <laughs> that's how it is to live there. It's chaos and fires yeah. and drug like, dealers. And, it's cheap imitation, kind of. Yeah, and it's exploiting whatever issues we have in a not very nuanced way. Yeah. I think that's important is the nuance, how we represent ourselves to people in a way that's not um, coded over by what by NBC execs and being, you know, celebrating the highs, the lows, and the in-betweens of, of this fantastic city. Uh, if you guys can stick around for just a little bit, I want to just briefly talk about what we've been watching recently, if that sounds cool with you. Word. All right. Uh, soft, again, Soft Cage Films, uh, Reverend David Holcomb and Spence Warren, and Ready Freddy Films, Mr. Dustin Bueller. Uh, thank you so much for talking about your films with us, and hopefully, you know, good luck at this, at this uh, you know, great premiere that you guys are going to have tonight. There's burlesque. Oh yeah. There's music. Stand up comedy. Stand up comedy. Three films. Ready Freddy Films will be doing the burlesque, correct? Yeah. All the burlesques. <laughs> Very excited. So as I said, uh, as we're record, as we're recording, um, this is happening tonight. But um, hopefully, you already knew about. It. Hopefully, you were there. And uh, you know, had <laughs> thank a good you time. for having had been there. <laughs> yeah. In the future, listener, success thousands of years ago. <laughs> All right, be back in just a second on No Co Cinema. All right, everybody, time for our last little segment here on No Co Cinema. This is something that we've done for the last couple episodes that I really enjoy. I really like doing this because it gives us a chance to um, just talk about wider what's happening, you know, what we're watching, what we're really interested in in the uh, film world. Going to talk, we going to be talking a little bit about what we've been watching on uh, streaming, DVD, Blu-ray, whatever. What's keeping us interested right now? Uh, we're going to go around the horn just a little bit with our good friends David Holcomb, Spence Warren, Dustin Pueller. Who've been joining us? Thank you so much again for being on the show. Uh, just real quick, give me give me basically one thing that you've been watching recently that has really 
captured your attention or you saw maybe a screening of something what's uh what's what did you like about it what why would you recommend it that sort of thing so give us give us a give us a recommendation mr reverend david holcomb I've got to say, Endless Poetry. I saw it at the Gene Siskel by Alejandro Jodorowsky, his new film. Oh, yes. Man, I am sure people just get tired of me talking about this guy, but he's 88 years old. He just made a feature film. He says it's the first of a five-part feature film series (laughs) that's like part of his autobiography, I guess. And it's the best thing I think he's ever done. And I can't imagine doing something at that level at that age. It's just such an inspiration. That's wild. It's just so beautiful. He's and, 88? Yeah. And he still hasn't made Dune. That's, I think that's <laughs> oh, the greatest. Oh, it's made. It's a comic in his house. He has one copy that he can never release. Have you, you saw the documentary about it? I, I know it exists, but I've always wanted to see it because I'm just like, man, like, it's that's the most fascinating thing I've ever heard that this guy was going to make Dune and it was going to be crate and then it just didn't happen. I think he did like a frame by frame comic full color with Mebus, his uh, his longtime um, comic book illustration, you know, uh, partner. And so in the documentary, you see him like inviting people over to his house and he's like, let's watch Dune. And they sit down on the couch and they just go through it page by page. <laughs> and and he, he's Dune. made it, you yeah. know. So, so. It so what is en- endless poetry? Just briefly, what's it? What's the gist of it? It's covering the period of his life um, from very early age up until about I would say it seems like seventeen or eighteen, and he sort of leaves home and um, gets on a ship to go to Europe. So I think from there we can assume that the next phase is going to be his like. Uh, life in in Paris and and becoming um, a part of this theater movement. I don't know how much you know, but mm-hmm. he started this theater movement with Fernando Arabal. Um, and so this part was sort of his introduction to like finding himself as uh, as a poet. You know, his parents clearly wanted him to be. Uh, I believe it was like a doctor or a lawyer or something. Sure. And and it's. It's one of those things where there's so many scenes where you can see it heading towards something and you're like, oh, no, 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 stop. And then he does something where you're just like, okay, all right, wow. Somehow you spun that into something profound. There's so many silly decisions that end up at the end really paying off. Like this simple example is his mother in the film She's the only person in the entire movie that doesn't speak all of her lines. She sings as like an opera singer. Wow. And it's at first the entire like every time she opens her mouth, everyone in the theater is like rolling with laughter. But by the end, because they've set that up, there's moments at the end where you're just like so overwhelmed with emotion because it's working so well. Wow. Endless poetry. Alejandro. How do you pronounce his last name? Hodorowsky. Hodorowsky. Jodorowsky. 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 My buddy over on the south side, Jodorowsky. Il Jandro. Il Jandro. All right, Spence, uh, what do you got for for me? Go for me. Uh, You know, here's the thing. I am so not dialed in to the scene, man. (laughs) To what? Movies? To anything. I mean, you know, I love stuff, things as well, Um, but I'm never like on the cutting edge, you know, like this is a thing that's happening right now. Neither am I. That's why I'm so happy I saw a movie last I'm week. Like, <laughs> I'm like to the party on freaking everything. So, you know, I don't know. So like, all right, uh, a thing that I 
love and I feel like I just want to tell every single human being about um, is this like it's a documentary series on Netflix and it's called Hip Hop Evolution and it is everything that I have been hoping for from every documentary I've ever watched about hip hop like finally someone understands it you know I, I can't remember the filmmaker's name for the life of me but he himself is an MC that probably helps but um the what it does is it tells the story of hip hop you know kind of as it began and then takes us through this four episode journey from like uh from the streets of New York to California and points in between and it talks about like the different parts of the evolutionary chain so it's not just talking heads the way that a lot of those kinds of documentaries are it's like there's narration there's little uh, animated bits and then there's also interviews in various different places that take place largely in the in the framework of conversations with the gods because like one of the really interesting things that we have in hip-hop is that most of the people who created it um, like as we know it today, like most of the pioneers are still alive. Like that's that's a resource that no other like big genre in American music has, you know, where all of them or most of them are still with us. So, um, you know, every time someone kind of misses on that, like there have been some good ones. And I feel like I shouldn't name the other ones because I don't have very nice things to say about them. But, <laughs> you know, there there have been some that have gotten close to hitting the mark and others that have missed the mark wildly. But this one, I think, really gives us like a personal and, and, and clear vision of the thing. My only criticism of it is it ends too early. It stops at gangster oh. rap, and then that then there's no more after that. Hopefully, well, maybe we can get another one out of it. Like, you know, uh, Ken Burns did the 10th inning for his baseball documentary. Oh yeah. He sure did. He did. So, he I sure mean, did. and that's the thing is that if it, I've, I've seen this documentary, it, like, I, I've seen the first episode. I've seen the first part, and I was I I definitely agree with the way that it was done was so much more than like just VH1 behind the music. Oh, like God. it felt very it was so well researched and so well put together that um, I can only hope that the guy the guy who made it can continue either with this or just do something else completely because it, it it's very comprehensive. I would love to hear him talk about MC Hammer. Oh yeah, <laughs> you know, in the context of larger hip hop music, we can well, only hope. I would love to hear him talk about Jay Z. I would love to hear him talk about Biggie too. But like, I would love to hear him get to that part of the the era. That'd be great. So it stopped at like mid nineties or it something. It stopped at like early nineties, like just right around like when NWA hit. Like oh that's wow! Right around where it stops. Huh. And for reasons that I'm not sure of, like, I don't know what the backstory is. I assume that they ran out of money. They're like, or... and then you guys know the rest. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And that brings us to now, 20 years later. <laughs> <laughs> so straight out of Compton, and now Trap. And now Trap. And now Skrillex, for some reason. So, so get out there and watch Hip Hop Evolution. Thank you so much, Spence. And uh, Dustin, what have you been watching recently? What have you seen recently that has... Uh, Tickled your fancy. Um, you know, it was really good. I watched, uh, did you guys see American Vandal on uh, Yes. Oh. No. Surprisingly uh, good. Oh, so good. Like, I was blown away. Like, uh, I hope a lot of the crew and are, are the kids. Like, I hope some of the older kids that are in it are some of the creative crew. I haven't looked into it yet. But they blew my mind. The nuance and all of those characters. 
It's fantastic. And it was seven episodes. When the first episode finished, and then I was like, oh, my gosh, there's seven more. I appreciate how long they played the joke out. They they really did. (laughs) And it it gets into uh, surprisingly, like, deep places about... Like and, and yeah, and... this is literally so. For those who don't know about uh, American Vandal, <laughs> it's basically a huge joke on like making a murderer or like Forty Eight Hours Mystery, where but it has to do with the kids spray painting dicks on his like oh, yeah. high school teacher's right. cars. But it 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 starts out as this joke. I know it was produced in conjunction with like Funnier Die, ah. and that's what you know. That's where the idea came from, and um, it goes into surprisingly deep places about like. Uh, internalization and as you said Dustin biases Mm -hmm. you know this kid who gets painted as the as the bad kid his entire life you know being uh, on you know framed essentially for for this crime not to spoil anything damn it um (laughs) so he gets accused of this crime and it goes into this whole making a murderer thing and it has a lot to say about the nature of documentary about like when you're making a film about people how is this like affecting them how does this like frame their conversations it's as you said it's fantastic it was so good and i i'll be real with you and I'm not going to be as uh, as you know kind as Spence when it comes to things. I fucking hate Jimmy Tatro. Like I don't like him in anything except for this. Right? This is like a, a, an incredible performance from a guy. He's almost playing the version of himself that everybody thinks he is, just making cock jokes and stuff like that, and being a total bonehead. And it has reframed my opinion of Jimmy Tatro. Yeah. So good job, uh, Netflix and all that. <laughs> Definitely check out American Shout Vandal. Shout out to the Tatro, the Tate, the Tate. Come on the show, Tatro. Yeah, the Jimmy Tatro. The Tate and the Tooch. The Tooch like be together. <laughs> you know, the Tate and the Tooch should be the new Wayne's World. Oh you know, God. What do you think? <laughs> Follow my keys. <laughs> Connor, what have you watched recently that's really... Uh... So, like a lot of people, I uh, have been riding the third wave of hype surrounding Tommy Wiseau's The Room. Mm-hmm. And uh, I... Is it like, really the third wave? third wave? I feel like it came out, and it was terrible, and it yeah. got panned, and then it sort of built a cult following, which I imagine is, would be like the second wave. The second, no, and then right. now that the disaster artist yeah. has come out, it's yeah. like the third wave that's bringing fuck. the mainstream <laughs> people in. Yeah. Fuck. I mean, say what you will about Tommy Wiseau as a personality and about that film as a director. Like, how many filmmakers can say that they created something that has become such a cultural phenomenon? Yeah. yeah. It's insane. I mean, my God. And that is my favorite part about it, is the cultural phenomenon that is Tommy Wiseau himself. Yeah. Like, while I was watching the movie, I had to look up his Wikipedia page and just try to find out. Because I'd heard that the movie was made for $6 million, The Room, and yeah. nobody knows yeah. where the money came yeah. from. Or where it went. So I was like, okay, <laughs> I really want to really read as much as I can about this guy. Wow. And... The Wikipedia read. I started reading it in his voice because I was watching the movie at the same time. But there's just some truly bizarre lines in that. So it's like I click on the early life page and it says Tommy Wiseau gained early recognition in Europe for his bird toys, which were popular at the time. And there's no link to the bird toys. There's Mm. never mention of it ever again. Tommy Wiseau right as a Wikipedia page. I fucking hope so. I really hope so. And in a way, he tried to because he. We now know he actually has finally admitted that he is. 
not from America. Yeah. Like, which is something. <laughs> he's that, from which, Europe. Yeah, he's from Europe. He's like Polish. <laughs> yeah. But he. Welcome he, to the club. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and there's nothing wrong with him being not from America, but he had this really insane, like, uh, and very interesting uh, obsession with being the all-American. Like yeah. He's very adamant about his Americanness. Right. And he, he just said lies he was, about it. He said he was from, like, yeah. Louisiana. Never believed just you, guy. We, he kept saying he was from, like, Louisiana, and Sweet. he really had this dream of becoming the the James Dean. He really wanted to go to Hollywood and make this movie that's about, like, you know how hard it is to be an, an American. This is Tommy Wiseau's vision of America: is the room. And the <laughs> last, the last thing that I really want to say about this movie <laughs> Tommy is, Wiseau's vision of America. <laughs> is it's based. So it's based off of a 540-page novel that Tommy Wiseau wrote. Yes, no, r- written by. Wait, he wrote a novel called The Room? He wrote well the script of The Room is based off of a 540-page novel. <laughs> what? Yes. <laughs> Wikipedia, guys, it's an invaluable wow. resource. Whoa. Donate now. But Donate. um <laughs> the thing that I loved about that movie was the writing. The writing in that movie, I think it's fucking incredible. Like everything is told squarely from his perspective mm-hmm. except occasionally Lisa and Greg's uh or Mark, sorry. Yeah. Mark and Lisa's characters. Oh, but oh, hi, Mark. <laughs> anytime somebody says something negative about Tommy Wiseau's character, somebody jumps in and defends him yes. immediately. Yeah. Yes. yes. It's unreal. Like, there's no... Oh, right. When the mother and the daughter are having that, like, cyclical conversation that they always have every yeah. few And they talk minutes. about, I have breast cancer, and that that goes away, I guess. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's it's wow. you're right. He constantly is being justified as being this good guy and how could you not love him? And yeah. why are you cheating on him? And he's just this tragic hero mm-hmm. in this in this gr- almost Grecian sort <laughs> of like play. It's it's insane. I love I love the room. I think yeah. you make a remake. Oh, I hope oh. not. You know? I kind oh, of yeah. don't I don't want them to. I know like that a reboot uh, I don't think that you could capture the first right. 20 minutes no. of four sex scenes in a row. I no. don't think that you could ever. Well, James Franco has apparently like about a half an hour of a shot for shot remake Sweet. of the room that he did while doing the disaster Sweet. artist. So release the tapes. A24, I will buy that Blu-ray immediately if that's like a special feature. Keep Just a ha- circulating the tapes, Frankie. Release the tapes, release damn it. Release the tapes. That's right. Um, but yes, the room and the the, uh, the disaster the artist, disaster which artist. I hopefully uh, will be able to watch. I, I, I'm very interested in it. Um, for me, just real quickly, I finished watching this documentary that I started a while ago, another Netflix documentary uh, called Five Came Back, which is about um, John Ford, John Houston, Frank Capra, and William Wyler. Uh, it's about them being part of the American propaganda machine during World War II and these films they made. And uh, it's a fascinating part of film history because it results – you don't even realize that these guys from Hollywood – the guy who made It's a Wonderful Life was basically in charge of the American propaganda machine. Which is weird because I love Frank Capra, and the pro- it gives you He's a like different Howard view. Goebbels. Yeah, <laughs> but the thing is, oh, that's <laughs> <geez>. <laughs> 
Frank Capra, R. Goebbels, <laughs> a life in pictures. So talented if it just uses forces yeah. for good. Well, that's the weird thing about it, it. It had me in a conflicted place because, and they think they address it really interestingly because they do talk about how a lot of these American propaganda films are a direct cause of anti-Japanese, you know, serious racism, serious, serious racism. And um, but a lot of these guys, like William Wyler. He got into this because he was Jewish and he knew he knew what was happening, not to the extent that they eventually knew, but he knew that there was this anti-Semitic thing that was going on in Germany. And he thought this is how he can get involved. And everybody was getting involved. And it results in some of the most harrowing um, filmmaking ever made. Like you've got John Huston at Dachau. And he's he, this is him. This is him revealing literally to the entire world what happened. Like this is the first time, and they showed it at the, his film at the Nuremberg trials. You've got some really fantastic and uh, important, you know, depictions of war. Some of the first. This is the first time people were really seeing depictions of war, and it changes the entirety of uh, of war cinema, and for better or for worse. Because it, and I, I would recommend the documentary. It's only three episodes long. I think each episode is about an hour, and it takes you through the different stages of how they get into the war. You know, uh, shooting D-Day, like being on the beaches, and then kind of the aftermath, and like how did this affect people? And the films they even made depicting um, what at the time they called battle fatigue, what we know now as PTSD. Uh, some of the earliest depictions of people suffering, you know, soldiers suffering this. So I just find it fascinating in that sense and uh gives you an idea of how propaganda functions mm. both in uh both from the um the axis powers and from us and how it was both positive and negative in a lot of ways so how definitely powerful film is yeah that's that's the thing that always uh blows my mind is that whenever you watch movies especially about world war ii uh they're just like they they talk about the propaganda machine they're just like Dude, like you don't even realize how powerful cinema was, and it, it and I never knew because I feel like we're watching movies. Oh, it's just movies, but it reminds us about the power of cinema, how it can influence people. Thank you so much, guys, for coming on the show. Um, Thanks for having. This oh, has been man. fantastic. So cool. Please come back anytime, uh, Reverend David Holcomb. Spence Warren from Soft Gauge Films, and of course Dustin Peeler from Ready Freddy Films. Uh, thank you so much, so much fun every time. Uh, we are No Coast Cinema, your guide to cinema here in the city of Chicago. I'm Tom Hush. I'm Connor Cornelius, and we will see you next time.